0: All right. We are live. This is the CCM Investing Power Hour, number 32. I know that doesn't matter to anyone listening, but we track it. We're climbing the ladder each week, one by one. Uh, And yeah, any housekeeping items this week, I guess just a a few. One, we're changing the time that we do this. This doesn't matter to anyone. The vast majority of people listen on the podcast, but for anyone that actually listens uh, on the YouTube channel, We're doing them at 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern. Just better for our schedules, and I think better for anyone that wants to watch at home as well. Second, we are not also might help
1: get some people on the show compared to like noon.
0: That's right. Maybe people
1: are getting off, you know. So we're gonna we're gonna try to get some more people on the show. Get them to come on. Don't have to be on for the whole time. Kind of pop in, pop out, more recurring guest style.
0: That is correct. Yeah. Second, we are not doing the paid shows anymore. I want to keep reminding people about that because I know not everyone listens to every episode we do. We're not doing the paid podcast anymore for the Not So Deep Dive. So those are all free again. Uh, Go back and listen to them if you want and just make sure everything's going to be free now. And third, before we get to the show today, we are doing newsletter recaps or not recaps, show notes plus charts for all of our not so deep dive stock analysis shows and those are going to be free included with each episode so sign up the link will be in the show notes that'll be free get that delivered to your inbox every morning it is a great way to pair up um the audio or video watching with uh you know, the stock analysis, you can see all the numbers that are harder to see in audio format. Ryan, one thing to add.
1: Our newsletter uh, signups have been shooting up. So this this message is getting through to listeners. It's totally free. It's a great way, as Brett mentioned, to pair it with our not so deep dives. Cause I know a lot of our not so deep dives, we go through the financials and it can just be a lot of numbers at once. And it's kind of annoying. So seeing it visually through charts and explained via the newsletter is always helpful. So I believe we, you know, uh what, what what are we we're we're passing some big numbers now
0: that's right we hit i think we we passed a thousand yes uh thank you to our friends uh stock market nerd um the transcript uh who am i forgetting the science of hitting for recommending the substack that they, they really help out with that check out theirs as well um but yeah definitely check that out we do a lot of stuff on there as well and it'll be all free going forward uh before we get to today's episode we are going to talk about our sponsor, Seven Investing. Use code MONEY to get $100 off your annual subscription for life. That is a 25% discount every year for the life of your subscription, and that is going through the end of 2022. So if you've ever thought about signing up for them, do so today uh, or (laughs) by the end of this year. And you may know 7investing because we've talked about them before. They're a stock research service. They do seven invest seven picks every month. That's why they are 7investing. But on top of that, to narrow down their stuff and make, make their picks and research in a more timely manner, they do these things called the Strong Buy Portfolio that they update every quarter. So most recently, they did one in October of 2022, this year, where they have $100,000 of equally weighted 20 highest conviction stocks of that moment. So of all the seven investing universe, they give you their 20 best buys now, Um, it is a great way to do it. So if you're looking at say, okay, well, we've had these research reports for the past two years or something like that, but the stock market has gone up and down quite a bit. There's been a ton of volatility. At what prices today You know, for something that might be down 80%, what do you think is a good buy? What do you think might be a sell? What do you think is a hold? What What are your highest conviction ideas? It is a great way to uh, use that. Again, use code money, get $100 off our annual subscription, their annual subscription for life at 7investing. Okay, let's get to the show. I know everyone wants to talk about the big news of the week and that is Nelnet's interest spread widened in a, in a, in a rising interest rate environment. No. Remarkable. No, that is remarkable.
1: Uh, okay, a couple of... Um, we're we're going to keep doing the housekeeping things, apparently, but uh, we're going to try to do some topics now. Uh, I think sometimes we ramble and have not a whole lot to say. Somebody that bores listeners, so well, we've got a yeah, couple we're gonna topics.
0: Have, yeah, we're going to do we're going to do a few topics each week. Um, we'll kind of have them either on the back burner or to have them as kind of a full thing to do. We're going to make sure that the show is still kind of a free form at the bar, to having a beer conversation, but also. We'll have some more meat on the bones, hopefully, for some of the drier weeks. Now, this week has not been dry. I made the joke about Nell that no one actually cares about that. We want to talk about FTX collapsing. Ryan, you put some notes on this. It is a maybe the biggest thing in VC since Theranos. Um, I don't know. Why, why don't you kick it off?
1: Yeah, the, the, I'm, I was a little reluctant to talk about this because there's stuff about the collapse that I don't understand. And just crypto generally, there's a whole bunch. of All the like, uh, the ancillary stuff to crypto with all like the staking and a bunch of that stuff, I really don't pay attention to it. So I, I have a lapse in understanding, but the collapse of FTX is actually pretty entertaining. Um, maybe that that might feel uh, disrespectful to people who had money on it. It's it's fun to watch from the view from the side because uh, frankly it's just really exciting and apparently uh, what's his name is going to be writing a book about it. The uh, what's uh, you know
0: Michael, Michael Lewis, Big Michael Short, Moneyball, really awesome that he is apparently following this guy right now. Uh, the guy has the magic. Michael Lewis has the magic touch, and hopefully that book gets out soon. So yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Um, so let's go through what all happened. I, I've jotted down some notes because I I want to be able to commit it from memory. And there's a whole bunch. I encourage everyone to go read articles on it too, because there's a whole bunch of people that are impacted, especially the VC community from this uh, that's slightly entertaining as well. So for those that don't know, FTX is one of the world's largest crypto exchanges um, and they collapsed. What was it, two days ago now, three days ago? And previously, to kind of lay some context, Binance, which is the world's largest exchange, had invested in FTX. This is kind of trying to get to the root of wh- where the collapse came from. So they'd invested in FTX. However, the CEO of FTX, who's sort of this interesting character i should say people called him the next warren buffett he was on the cover of a bunch of magazines kind of like one of the faces of crypto
0: the madden curse the fortune it's unfortunate never Honestly, go on yeah. that. that if that if likelihood we ever get asked for that is low but if that ever happens uh we say no right away
1: <laughs> however yeah i wish i could short anyone that's called the next warren buffett i wish i could short them instantly because it never pans out well um but anyway, the CEO of FTX, which is Sam uh Sam Bankman-Fried, I believe his name is, um, and the CEO of Binance apparently had a falling out. And and the CEO of Binance, uh, the, he goes by the acronym CZ, the same way Sam goes by SBF. Um, but because this kind of falling out and they saw they kind of saw the industry differently. Apparently, apparently, SBF saw, thought that they should try to get along better with regulators, and CZ was thought that that kind of destroyed the decentralization idea of it. Um, and so, because of the falling out, they, they, Binance wanted to sell their ownership and ex, uh, or get rid of it, and they did so in exchange for FTT coins. Now, this is where it gets a little wonky because we're playing with Stanley Nichols here, but
0: it's, 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 it's confusing. It is very confusing.
1: FTT coins are the FTX, which is that exchange that went bankrupt. That's their own coin or it's their own token. They created it. And apparently it was meant to be sort of, it was intended to help people trade in and out of different things, kind of provide some liquidity is what I'm getting. And it was, the only real thing that they said was anyone could redeem it for $22 if they wanted to. So FTX would give them the $22 in exchange for those FTT coins, which I mean, that is just risk on its own. Um, But apparently a report came out from CoinDesk, which is one of the big crypto kind of news sources that showed Alameda's balance sheet. And so Alameda to kind of backtrack here, is an offshore crypto hedge fund. So I believe it's headquartered in the Bahamas run by Sam Bankman-Fried. So he's the CEO of FTX and he has this offshore hedge fund. That's- it was
0: like, yeah, it was, an Arba, it was an arbitrage crypto thing since it was such an inefficient market. Uh, yeah.
1: Which, I mean, that's cause for its own concern. Um,
0: but when, it, when it's in the Bahamas or what? That's always a red flag.
1: I typically think it's always a red flag when a the your businesses are located in the Bahamas to literally avoid the regulators in the US. And, <laughs> yeah. and we've seen the story before where when the CEO of a business has his own hedge fund that he runs, there's immediately conflict of interest. And so um, anyway, Alameda apparently had billions of dollars worth of FTT, which is that FTX coin. And I know it's starting to sound complicated, but basically the CEO is using this Bahama-based hedge fund to borrow money, and he was posting that FTT as collateral. So theoretically, if FTT collapses in value, then it hurts the lenders and all the other owners of FTT. Well, Binance saw this, and they basically decided it was unsafe, so they sold a big block of FTT, which they, they... they got that by exchanging their ownership in FTX for FTT coins. That sale started the collapse of FTT. And so once that collapse started to be begun, uh, other traders on FTX saw it. They were using it, like I said, as a cheap cheap way to kind of trade in and out of things. They wanted to liquidate their FTT and they, that kind of perpetuates that run on the bank uh that that we began to saw began to see and then there was a whole bunch of withdrawals or attempted withdrawals and FTX had to pause because they literally didn't have the money to give back to people um ultimately this comes down to leverage and then
0: and self dealing to the hedge fund right where they give it out um yeah yeah and
1: I mean, it's hard to know where all the money went because this hasn't been settled yet. But basically, they didn't have the money, and they had to.
0: It could be a ten billion dollar hole, like gap between the assets and liabilities, right? Yeah, that's what
1: apparently most recently the SBF, the CEO, said. We just need nine point six billion, and we'll be fine. Which no, just, one's a, just a small bridge loan. Yeah, I yeah. Uh, but we'll see how it goes in bankruptcy. We'll see who gets their money back. Here's a couple of the high-profile collapses that have happened so far. Three Arrows Capital, Celsius, which is like that uh, – not the not the drink company. It's some crypto uh, – mm, Right. I remember that. Yeah. Can't remember really what they did. Terra Luna, that guy, Doquan. Uh, BlockFi, which was apparently acquired by FTX because FTX had lent them money, and they had posted collateral for them. So – they bought BlockFi when BlockFi was having troubles and made it seem like, all right, fine, we'll step in, we'll be the hero. But they would have had their own troubles if BlockFi went under. So they stepped in, they bought them, and now FTX themselves. So I think we're seeing uh, – we're now seeing how much leverage was in the system.
0: Yeah. Is Tether next? That's the big question, I think.
1: And – I think we're also seeing how intertwined a lot of these are, because when you press the prices down on the crypto, it's hard to keep this cycle going. It's hard to, it's hard to keep your house of cards propped up. So uh, and by that- the, the question is, what ramifications does this have for the rest of the industry? And how long until people just lose trust in the entire system?
0: Yeah, it's the big question going forward, I think. I think one, the one big question is what happens to Tether because uh, they've been quiet and there's always the big, there's been the big speculation on how they are the the ultimate kind of lender of the Ponzi scheme here, if people want to call it that. And two, yeah, do people stop trusting the stuff you saw? I think, I mean, this isn't the only example, but uh, the Barstool CEO or whatever you call him, Portnoy, sat, you know was super mad at FTX because they did a partnership with them. And he's probably going to lose all his money because his crypto was held at FTX. Uh, you have the partnership with Tom Brady and his, and uh, I can never pronounce his name, but the person that just divorced him or her Gis- name, excuse me, Giselle. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they, you know, were, had the relationship with uh, SBF, all the VC funds. It could turn. Now, I mentioned Theranos at the beginning. When Theranos went uh, down, for the next like 5 years basically till today there has been and probably still to today any sort of medical technology bio not biotech but like if anyone's you know Theranos was kind of the blood testing thing any sort of startup within that field just got blacklisted or there was no funding for that available and that could definitely happen happen for crypto And the thing is, by definition, the industry, quote unquote, is all just a house of cards, magic beans, whatever, right? It's just trading like... uh, There was a good example I think I was reading to try to encapsulate the business models of these companies is where you essentially had a bank and someone deposits money at the bank and all they want to do is change money between euros, dollars, and Japanese yen and do nothing else. But then every time you take a $1 off their hundred dollar deposit until they have zero left. So that would be the future.
1: That would be the future.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So I
1: don't, my biggest pet peeve is when people say, well, I mean, it's, it's obviously the future. We just don't know how it's going to end up. (laughs) Give me one app. I've never seen one application where it makes it substantially better than the current system.
0: Oh yeah. I agree. The, uh, yeah, we don't need to rant on this forever, but the, uh, it also is another pet peeve is when someone says, "Well, this is just going to detract from someone building the real stuff in the crypto space." And I, I've never seen anything real in that space because, by definition, it's all fake. Uh, so, I think the big question is, does this keep going on? And a lot of the stuff is going to zero, right? But is uh, two two big questions? I think is Tether actually would fine like is it the the bigger thing that's going to collapse which again go back and listen to our episode with bennett tomlin probably a year ago today who has predicted all of this stuff Um, he's one of the few people in the world that actually understands the in and out of all the crypto stuff because they make it complicated on purpose and he's a thorn in the side of all these fraudulent people second bitcoin is uh, you know different because it's kind of just on its own Do people, does that have it, you know, does that get affected there? Can Bitcoin go away? Because I know it can go down by a lot, but can it go away? Like we we know it's supposed to never be able to go away. I think it'll be a big test. Uh, Yeah. But we, we, we sitting here, we're kind of just, it's like watching a movie. We have no idea. It's like, no, not, not even, it's like watching a mystery. We have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, but it's fascinating and did not have that on my bingo card for this week because this guy was, he had raised so much money. He's on every, he's on Bloomberg. He's at every, everything. Everyone loves this guy. And it turns out he was exactly like Elizabeth Holmes, which is it, how did the V, how did the VCs let this and happen? The funny thing how is, happen? how okay. do they let it happen again? there
1: was a bunch so softbank just invested in them at some ridiculous wow. round of course of that's course. implied that was expected uh sequoia capital invested in them but here's the funny part sam bankman fried was a big investor in sequoia
0: capital yeah that just so he's came just out. giving yeah. himself
1: money through sequoia capital
0: yeah what like, how how did they let that happen it's
1: because everyone around them was telling them it was working
0: i don't know No, how do they, how do, how, why, why do these renowned venture capital funds with decades of history let the founder of one of the companies they're investing in invest in their own funds that they're investing in that company and make this whole circle? I don't want to make a, because
1: Because if they're offered money, they're going to take it
0: and they'll earn nice fees on that on those mark to markets um the, all right, let's, move, let's let's move to the we're, we're we're 15 minutes in let's move to the second topic uh what do you got right. more fun more more fun with burning money reality labs
1: yeah you want me to kind of go first here yeah this um, one's
0: this is shorter this is going to be more discussion right
1: yeah i read a recent article from alex who's been on the podcast a lot. Alex Morris, also his pseudonym is the science of hitting. Um, he wrote about meta and kind of detailed his thoughts. And at the end he talked through kind of how, how he looks at valuing the business. And I thought it raised an interesting question, which is how much, if you're a potential investor today in meta, how much should you value reality labs at? And I won't spoil his work because it's, uh, it's paid and it's a Substack that we totally recommend. Um, but let me give some numbers. $2.3 billion in trailing 12 month revenue, 12.7 billion in trailing 12 month operating losses. In Q3, the operating losses were at 3.7 billion. So almost a $15 billion operating loss run rate. That's 40 more per- 40% more than they were losing a year ago. What is that worth? Let's say you went ultra pessimistic and you thought they were going to burn that fifteen billion dollars for the next ten years, and nothing would come of it. So you think it's worth a little more. Let's say two hundred billion dollars negative two hundred billion dollars to the valuation. So you the enterprise value today is, I mean, it's we're recording this after like the day just ripped, so I don't know what Meta's at. But let's I think it's at like two two thirty. Somewhere around there. So let's say it's at four hundred and thirty billion. After you add back that negative two hundred billion dollars, that would put family of la family of apps, so Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and Messenger, at roughly ten. You'd be paying ten times the operating income of family of apps. Mm. Is that? Does that sound like it's worth taking a chance?
0: It's interesting. It is interesting. It seems like, and he hasn't been that, it doesn't, you know, the big question, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at, is Zuckerberg controls this thing like a dictator because of the founder shares. And he is going to control this boat. And yeah, like in the numbers say in the studies that people run that founder-led companies outperform because they can think for the long term. But The two big things I worry about, and it may not matter, I I still don't know the answer to this, is one, he might not care about cash flow anymore. He just wants to dominate the marketplace. And two, um, he's wrong. And just because Family of Apps is trading at 10 times normalized operating income, he's not going to give that back to shareholders. And second, their CFO has been shown to be I don't want to say terrible, but the last track record over the last 18 months with buybacks and capital allocation has been if you gave it a rating, gave it a grade, probably a D, really really poor. Um,
1: and they all they gave it all back so in that, shares to the employees too, basically.
0: Yeah, so I think in a vacuum looking at the family of app numbers, which have still been fairly good in a, you know, with all the advertising snafus that these companies are talking about, both the two monopolies, uh, I guess Facebook's less of a monopoly, but Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp are doing fine, and Google, the bigger monopoly, I guess the more monopoly of the monopolies is doing fine as well. So in light of what all the other advertising companies are saying, it seems like Met is in a great spot, especially because they're just ramping up the competition with TikTok. However, I think the one thing that just keeps me out is the poor capital allocation and the lack of like the founder stuff. This is the one kind of way the, the, the founder um, led companies with the, the, the super majority shares can backfire is when their vision does not align with like what they want to do, doesn't align with. Um, what shareholder like what's good for shareholders, which we've all seen. That's why the stock's down so much. Combined with the finance team being extremely poor capital allocators.
1: Yeah, the other point that was raised in an interview that I I listened to the podcast with Bill Brewster and Matt Cochran, which is a good listen, and they talk about this is is he committing all this capital and investing all these dollars because he thinks long-term it's right for the business or because he thinks it's his moment to stake his reputation on it, to build his
0: platform. I may have stolen the, I I listened to that one too. I may have stolen that, that that last little sense or my thoughts before this with, with what they said, but I think it's right.
1: I, yeah, I worry that this is very much like, a pride-driven decision. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Tim Cook can just bully him around with new changes and he doesn't want to let it happen. The other thing is, I think VR is really stupid. I don't think consumers want it
0: at all. The numbers on Oculus, the third-party numbers and surveys get worse and worse. I was just listening to something with someone from The Verge. Uh, I can't even remember what happened, but they, they basically were talking about Meta and they were kind of one of the people that are connected to the poise, so they can get an inside view. And he was like, well, when it comes down to it, I got an Oculus and I get all the tech because I'm the journalist that's going to write about all this stuff. But I've had zero incentives to play anything but my PS5. So if they can't even get this gaming stuff right, how are they going to where is the bridge? And and there is
1: the Wall Street Journal basically exposé on Horizon Worlds being a complete flop. No one sticks mm, around. Yeah. It's a gimmicky thing.
0: Yeah, so I mean but on the other hand, we also saw this week the 10% layoff which again, we're not cheering layoffs, but they did overhire. We've been talking about how the companies have overhired. You know, we don't want people to lose their jobs, but from an investing perspective, they did overhire. Again, I think, you know, they're showing they're doing that now. That could be a good thing. They're leaning up, maybe, but when the f- that would be great if the fundamental idea wasn't so flawed right <laughs> if the fundamental idea was great and they they were going at something that made sense to try to dislodge the the p c console gaming market and then have that longer term vision but when you have the have you seen or you may have seen these on on uh if you've been watching sports lately the new commercials for the Meta that are replacing that insane tiger commercial, remember that one with uh The meta one where it's like the kids are going in and there's that really really cringy song this new one is when they're like all wearing these really ugly headsets and then they're doing some sort of work all in their houses but separate houses and they're doing their work with the headsets on and i was like you can do that with airpods guys i don't know what the
1: yeah why would you rather have it be this Invasive experience that that's, that's stops, you, stops yeah. you from seeing your current peripherals, like everything around you.
0: The, yeah, uh, so so the, I think the fundamental yeah, that, that's the big problem is that even if they lean up, the fundamental idea is so flawed that. Uh, and you know know sh- the lean stock up. could work. The stock could work here. I, I'm not. The stock could definitely work here.
1: Did you read the 8K that they released? Uh, Facebook. Yeah, they recently released an 8K that talked about the layoffs and they said that their guidance increased operating expenses next year was in- encompassing those layoffs so it's not some new layoff they, they saw that coming yeah. they had the plan, and they, but they were like we're going to moderate our expenses a little bit i think maybe they heard, heard all the strife from investors and they let me make sure i get it right I'm pretty sure they downgraded their operating expense guidance from like 96 to 101 billion, that range to 94 to 100. So like literally 1%. I don't think that's really going to please investors.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's got to be bigger than that. Um, We'll see. I don't know. This kind of leads in. Do you want to go to our mid-roll seven investing topic? Uh, The article, the... The advertisement slash segment that I think will be interesting to talk about.
1: Yeah, that's, this actually tailors perfectly into it. So let me read it. Um, we are. Okay. We we have continued to refine our 2023 expense budget and now expect 2023 total expenses to be in the range of 94 to 100 billion lowered from 96 to 101 billion previously.
0: Ah, uh, Well, wow. Rugal. You're pleasing
1: all of us. And then they said, in addition, we are updating our capex guy outlooks to be in the range of thirty-four to thirty-seven, narrowed from thirty-four to thirty-nine.
0: Nah, frugal, frugal.
1: It, to be, f- it's to be f- still basically yeah. the same range.
0: Yeah. To be fair, the capex is for the AI stuff, for the uh, the yeah. capex isn't much reality labs, but still, and that's supposed to be one time, but still. But yeah, let's go into maybe the one the company that executes phenomenally. And uh, this is also going to lead it to the Graham and Dodd discussion that we'll, I'll have at the end. Um, but yeah, talk, right. about, talk about a Nearbond's article on Apple.
1: Yeah. Uh, so just so everyone knows, Seven Investing does basically free, free research as well. So you don't have to be a paid sub to see some of the articles. And Nearbond, who's been a longtime Apple shareholder, I believe it's probably his largest or if not one of his largest holdings, um, and he's been an, an outspoken bull for a long time, uh, basically wrote this article about why they're outperforming their peers. And it comes down to a couple of things, but the, at the end, he basically concludes to it's cost management. They, they are... They work really well with a lean team, and this comes right after we saw that video of the CFO, Apple CFO, talking about how lean his team runs, and it was maybe the best thing you could hear if you're an investor.
0: And he was Italian, so it was like it was like an opera singer from investing, you know, for investors speak. Where he was just like, oh, we have two people, whatever, whatever the accent was. Where I don't even know if he's Italian, yeah. but he was. It was a European accent.
1: He. And- so what it's, uh, seven people run the treasury p- department. Yeah, let's just, like
0: two, yeah, I can't forget. Billion. Let's just say they have 10, 10, less, 10 people or less running their treasury and IR team. So, and it's Apple. So it's the biggest company. H- in the world. H- hundreds of billions of dollars. Yeah. To manage. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's great. Yeah. That's why they're so much more profitable. And I don't know if that... We're going to move on to a real topic, and again, we'll highlight again, use code money, get $7, 25% off your seven investing subscription every year for life, that's a $100 discount. And check them out for these free articles too, if you're kind of on the fence or you don't really know much about what it's about. They have these free articles that you can read and check out their style. Uh, one question I want to pose before we move on to the other topics, do you think this frugality was something that Buffett identified compared to a lot of the other technology companies that he saw? Because it seems like this sort of mentality attitude is really big for when he makes the, the sizable bets. And I know it's not every time because Coca-Cola has been known to be kind of a classic, uh, you know, pay everyone so much money and you know, might might waste a little money, but the business is just so good. But a lot of the times that sort of frugality and simple mindset uh is what plays. I feel I feel like that might have been part of why he kind of got locked in and how this was his next big bet.
1: Yeah, maybe. Uh, I think Tim Cook kind of exudes that operational discipline. Yeah. A lot of the a lot of the big tech CEOs though. I would say the same for Satya Nadella. Yeah. Maybe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, maybe not Mark and Sundar, maybe.
0: They're talking. Well, yeah. So um, the Google Alphabet, Amazon, and Meta are talking about it right now, but we haven't. I think three years from now, we'll know if they can get that more operational discount, but both, all three of those companies um, let themselves go, I guess. Is that a good, right? Is that a probably a good yeah. way to describe it? Yeah.
1: They, and I saw that thing. There was some leaked employee thing today from Reddit that was like, thank God Mark Zuckerberg pays his employees so much. It forced all other big tech companies to start paying that much. And we've heard kind of anecdotally from people around the tech scene lately about how much spending there is and just kind of how I don't know wasteful.
0: Ba- well basically we go on uh we go on dates and there's a good chance one of them works at the big tech company so <laughs> <laughs> then you can hear yeah. the notes and then we it's have like pre- friends. The- yeah so that's how we do it. Um yeah all right. Let's move to my topic I think it will be interesting maybe discussion. I don't know if we have anyone in the chat, yeah, we had someone that said they're listening from Australia. Uh, so thank you. That's cool. It's always great to see the international listenership because it makes the show seem way bigger than it is. But it's also very cool uh, to have.
1: That. Going global.
0: We are a global right. business. That's right. Hey, half the listeners are outside the U.S. Uh, all right. So this one's short, but I think it's kind of interesting because going from uh, relating, uh, my your topics were on like stuff that makes people just m- maybe mad you know, investors and stuff. And I think mine will maybe be the, the opposite side where people can be pleased and everyone's working in a symbiotic environment. So the Adyen CEO, which if you haven't heard, um, go back and if you're interested in this company after this, go search our feed. We had a great interview with Mostly Borrowed Ideas um, to uh, on the company, but they're a payments company. He wrote a letter to his employees about how they're accelerating hiring into 2023 20, and beyond. Um, here are a few quotes Keep them short, but then I'll talk about some discussion questions here. Uh, here's the quote: "By now, I'm sure all of you have read the news about the wider tech industry engaging in headcount reductions. I'm writing to you today to explain why we are constantly choosing not to engage in such exercises." He's referencing probably Stripe, their biggest competitor, Shopify, who's kind of a competitor. Um, whatever. Then the big tech companies. Other Stripe quote, just had
1: Stripe just had some big lay like what was it, fourteen percent of their staff.
0: 14%, something like that, and probably have to do more. Here's another quote. Throughout all stages of Adyen, we've been efficient and disciplined regarding how many people are required to solve problems and grow our business. Two more quotes. In today's talent market, we are seizing the opportunity to build the team to the size required to capitalize on our opportunities. Last one By 2024, our ongoing investment into the team will have brought us to our next maturity level. At that time, we will cool our hiring pace and allow the high operating leverage inherent to our business model to further expand. Here are a few things I like here. One, he didn't get caught up in the bubble. Two, he's calling out his competitors in a respectful way by basically positioning themselves as saying, you need to act like us or we're going to kill you. And third, he's, it was short. It was like uh, less than a thousand words, the letter. And he just told everyone what's going to happen. Hey, our margins might go down a bit because we're investing into headcount expansion right now. But by 2024, it's going to be higher. And it's just like laying out that basically what they're going to do in a few bullet points and why they're doing it, what their philosophy is, and not just going in what's hot in the market right now. It's just such a... It's just way, it's so nice to see from all the, the CFOs and the CEOs out there that kind of just, you see it every earnings quarter, there's a theme and they all just copy it. And they're like, oh, we're gonna right size our cost structure. And you're like, all right, every company saying this, or they're like, oh, advertising slowing down, or, oh, there's an e-commerce hangover, which should affect Adyen. Um, but I really enjoyed seeing that. It, it keeps Adian on my watch list, even though I think the stock is very expensive. Any big takeaways from some of those quotes, Ryan?
1: Well, I think it's an advantage not being in Silicon Valley. Mm, yeah, I think that culture just rubs off on the companies that are around it, even though we just talked about Apple being sort of really capital disciplined. Um, and I guess they are in, right? Yeah, they're
0: basically Silicon Valley. Uh, everyone but Apple, really. And I guess Netflix. Everyone but Apple and Netflix seems to not have the operational discipline.
1: And yeah, I think that's an advantage for them. It's it's something I'm going to look for more in investments, like pay more attention to what sort of production are they getting out of their employee base? Like, What sort of revenue growth per employee are they seeing? What sort of operating income per employee are they seeing?
0: Comparing that to competitors, yeah.
1: But at the same time, I think... I think maybe some of this. Wow, there's just way too many employee stuff. Might be a little overblown, because. All right, ten years from now. You you mentioned this. You said in whatever it was, 2010, you could have had Visa ten times earnings or whatever it was. What was around there? Yeah,
0: yeah, I think it might have been eight percent free cash flow yield, but similar, similar.
1: If ten years from now, someone's saying you could have had Google it 12 times cash flow. What, what prohibited you from buying it? And you say, well, they had to, a little too many
0: employees. There's bloat. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to, there yeah, was a little bloat
1: their employees got yeah. a lot of lot. They got free lattes when they came in.
0: Yeah. I don't think that should keep anyone out of it. But on the other hand, I think for a company that has shown that it's as high as quality as Adyen, compared to saying, you would buy something at, uh, I would much, be much more willing to buy them all else equal at a higher multiple than a company where I think the operational efficiency is less just because I know that, or I have more confidence in them just getting a better return on all, whatever their invested capital is, whether it's actual invested capital or uh, employees.
1: Sure. And in this case, you kind of got the best of both worlds because adding growing like their peers and doing so in a leaner way. But I think a lot of the times yeah. there's you're making sacrifices to potentially uh, we're not gonna be able to get as much growth if we don't hire for certain roles.
0: Yeah, I think they've actually said that compared to say Stripe where they, they want to be more methodical and that'll look bad in a bull market, but it'll over the long term because the most, I think, when you first invest, and again, we're we're, only, we're not <laughs> veterans or anything here, but I think something you learn from being maybe a rookie to kind of going to more of the middle part of your investing knowledge is, um, at first, you think high revenue growth is the best thing you want. But... Once you read about the most successful companies and you kind of evolve and everyone gets there to durable growth, whether it's 8%, 15%, 20% is way more important than 70% revenue growth last year.
1: Yeah. I mean, growth so, isn't free. They, uh, and 70% growth is hard to manage.
0: That's true. Yeah, it's honestly better if you grow slower. <laughs> and we're seeing that. I mean, what who, who companies? Uh, all the companies have 95%. Carvana. Coinbase. Coinbase. Coinbase upstart. is like
1: the example, the, the pinnacle example of impossible to manage that level of growth. Yeah. They way overhired, had to scale back completely when things turned around. Now, granted, that entire business model is predicated on the, a volatile price, but...
0: Magic beans, let's say it. Magic beans. Um, yeah but i i like that letter i mean Adian, be clear we don't own it and we just given that we are just more multiple focused a lot of the times not all the time it'll probably not be uh yeah we we just won't i don't know look at it closer unless it gets to a cheaper multiple but that's such a good it's such a good uh it's such a good business did you say anything? Sorry, you're, has you froze, this you froze? Uh, you froze for five seconds. Did you say anything?
1: I just said never, say never. The uh, okay. has, and maybe use this as sort of your contra indicator if you want to. But has this year made you want to explore? Made you want to have a bigger percentage of your portfolio outside of tech entirely?
0: Mm. No, but I think it's made me want no, no, I don't I don't think tech I think that's the wrong way to put it. I think it's just made we've learned the lesson to focus more on two things, management teams being aligned with shareholders and not just aligned with what the market wants them to say and second more aligned on valuation over a 18 month period maybe where we don't invest on an 18 month time horizon but not sizing up a position when there's a big chance or something like that where 18 months from when you invested the operating environment might be a little bit worse and the sentiment on the stock of yours the 3 to 5 year time horizon could still be intact but I think that is definitely what's keeping. Me. I don't think tech is specific, although there's been a lot of stuff, like we said, you know, a lot of stuff you could maybe complain about within those industries. I still think there's lots of opportunities in super, super internet software, what you name it. But just yeah, those two things. Maybe broadening it out, not not hitting on tech, but I mean, there they're probably the ones that had the, the worst, uh, the most losses, I guess, through through the the cycle.
1: All right, you've got one more topic. All right, one question before your last topic. But if you had to say which industry outside, so it can't be tech.
0: Well, that's such a broad lens. What is tech?
1: No, no, you still
0: have to just, just
1: consumer goods are not tech and it's software, consumer internet, all this stuff is tech. I'm talking about everything that is not software based. Oh. Okay. What it's just what hard to define. What would you define as your best the, the industry you know best outside of tech?
0: Oh good question. Yeah video games don't count, I guess, because that's software. It's tech. Yeah, but it's not.
1: I'm talking about the physical very much a physical business. There's not a lot of space business. Or not yeah. a not a bits based business. Business and
0: atom space business there's a lot of I mean look again min you know I know what you mean, but there's a lot of technology and atom space stuff uh, I mean definitely it's bad it's nicotine definitely nicotine um, in that or and I don't like this industry, but apparel I know a little bit um but I know enough that it's bad <laughs> so we studied a lot of those businesses and every time I'm, I get a little bit nervous so yeah those two. Yeah. What about you? Which, which industry do you wish you knew more about? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's gotta be biotech that yeah. Gotta be I mean, The opportunity. There's just phenomenal biotech, pharmaceuticals, whatever medicine, advanced medicines, all that stuff.
1: Yeah. I feel like that. If, if you know it well, it's such an industry where so, so many people know it poorly.
0: So many, I mean, so much, again, yeah, there's a lot of risk there, but so many 100 beggar, potential 100 beggars.
1: And so many companies that got bit up like their 100 beggars that I felt like if you knew them well, you would know they weren't.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, there was, yeah, the prices you had to pay in, in 2020 and whatever. But now, now with the biotech index down so much i think there's there's a lot of opportunity most likely um, all right
1: let's let's take your last topic
0: yeah this was a great uh for some reason i don't know really what this is but apparently there's this thing called the Graham and dodd annual breakfast and the todd Combs, the protege one of the proteges of buffett runs it he had a conversation with michael mobison um there's a lot of good stuff from there. I'd recommend, I don't know if we'll link it in the show notes, but you can find it. Just look up Investment Management Insights or Graham and Dodd Annual Breakfast 2022. There will be a sub stack on that and reach out to us if you can't find it because it's kind of an obscure thing. Let me just, there's a ton of quotes here. I don't think we'll get to them all, but I, I figured I'd just read some of them and see what, see what you think. And if we don't really have any thoughts, then uh, we can just move on. All right. Uh, Ackman asked about morality in investing. I think we'll skip that one. Okay, here's the first quote. And there's a ton of stuff here that, one, since we, uh, we try to copy or learn a lot from the Berkshire team, it's going to just confirm our biases. But here's the quote. Combs recalled the first question Charlie Munger ever asked him was what percentage of S&P 500 businesses would be a, quote, better business in five years. Combs believed that it was less than 5% of S&P 500 businesses, whereas Munger stated that it was less than 2%. You can have a great business, but it doesn't mean it will be be better in five years. Do you agree or disagree with how minimal Charlie Munger is making that out to be? Because I thought about this a bit during the research, and I think it might be a little higher than 2% but it's not very much. And I think that is a good exercise to go through. I think also kind of adding that, going through that exercise is, will this business be better or worse in five years is a great question to ask.
1: Yeah, and maybe maybe how, I guess, how do they define better?
0: Like, will it be larger? No, 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 better is operating earnings. Better is always, and this will get to another quote, better is always widening competitive advantage. That's their definition of better. So the, the moat has gotten wider five years from now. Here's one that... My
1: gut tells me more than 2%. Yeah,
0: because some moats are pretty weak. Um, well, here's a good example that I came up with. For one, we study video games in companies a lot. If you looked at kind of the post-GFC era, right around the PS4, Xbox One era and the, the, the resurgence of the PCs, a lot of the publishers... Because of online, uh, because of internet speeds, we were able to make the social aspects and add these network effects to their businesses. All the, com- all the companies did this Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto, um, the sports games, Fortnite. I'm probably missing some. And that added a huge competitive advantage for them that has made the bi- industry way more durable than it has in the past because of the social aspect. Those businesses all got better in five years and I think was fairly predictable. So I think, yeah, it might be higher than 2%. But it's a classic Munger quote, so you can expect him to try to be. <laughs> he's an exact. He's an. He likes to make his quotes um, stick, <laughs> right? All right.
1: Yeah, I, I think he wants to sometimes just be overly pessimistic, just to be Charlie.
0: Yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah. Here is two things here that apparently one. Uh. This sounds just again. We know that. We're we're team Buffett fanboys and whatever, just laugh at us. But apparently Combs, uh, Todd Combs, uh, the protege, goes over to Buffett's house every Saturday and they just talk about investing in the afternoon or something like that. Um, And here's the two quotes from it. The one question asked daily is to identify the value of businesses they own is whether the moat is widening or narrowing. And here's the other quote. 98% 98% of what Buffett and Combs discuss is qualitative. Thoughts on that kind of, I mean, confirms kind of how we try to look at things, obviously, with a little less skill than them, uh, to put it lightly at the moment. But what are your thoughts? Uh,
1: I can't believe they don't talk about anything else.
0: They're not, they're not updating their Excel models?
1: <laughs> well, I don't, uh, sometimes it blows my mind how many how much time Warren commits to this stuff but uh,
0: he's a bit of a nut yeah and it seems like Combs was again he said he spends 16 hours a day in the week running Geico and then his weekends are dedicated to his portfolio so
1: yeah that's wild uh, no I, I think most of the discussion should be on qualitative stuff evaluation discussion doesn't need to be long
0: yeah it's true here's if the next right quote on, if
1: you're right on the qualitative assumptions then it doesn't
0: matter Here's the next quote that leads into that. If something is 30 times earnings, you can calculate what it will have to do to get to run rate earnings. The worst business grows and needs infinite capital with declining returns. The best business grows exponentially with no capital. The great way to put it, I think that kind of, we've discussed this before, but we try to make this analogy ourselves. And again, it's just copying them, but their own way is we, at least I like to think about the one, like a company that has to run on a treadmill versus one that has to like float, like, they have no work and they just float down the river. Again, it's just two like motion analogies. I think it's similar to how, how they're describing that there. What are examples of, of, again, we talk about this a lot. What are examples of the best businesses and what are examples of the worst? I think the clear one that's first is commodities. That's the worst because it just goes through the classic capital cycle and everything gets stuck and it's kind of just a zero-sum game. There's no competition. And same with energy, unless you have some sort of competitive advantage for the land. And the best is... Energy is a commodity. Yeah, it's part of it. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's part, of it, part of it. And the, be, uh, the best ones are with, uh, exponentially with no capital, are a lot of the great um, br- consumer staples brands within addictive products. Coffee. Um, and I'm not talking about Starbucks stores, but like, just coffee in general, caffeine stuff, nicotine stuff, sugary stuff, fatty stuff. It takes minimal capital, and you can just grow. It's not no capital, though. Yeah, but yeah. I but, don't think but, there's really
1: a whole lot of businesses that, could, that qualify under that description.
0: With no capital? Yeah, but I think, again, they're exaggerating because you look at, okay, yeah, by definition, like Google search has no capital, but the capital is in the intangibles, um, which they need. Yeah. Any the one thoughts? That,
1: the one that comes to mind is Google. Um, Search, other, yeah. Yeah, the other ones are. Uh,
0: YouTube ones. too. U- YouTube as well,
1: <laughs> where everyone
0: the, does the work for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, any of the businesses where it's user-generated to attract new users.
0: Or or where your customers and suppliers do all the work for you. I think that's a great way to think about it as well. Visa and MasterCard come to mind there.
1: I mean, social media businesses, generally, uh, your, your users are doing a lot of the work. But yep. those returns have been horrible. So um, I can't think of a social media business that's generated really good returns in the last seven years. Well, early was, Facebook doesn't count.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm going to agree with you. And I think it might've gone through a little bit of a capital cycle where everyone loved the industry and so many people are attacking it competitively. Everyone wants to start a social media company. What do you got now? Be real. All that kind of died. That was kind of like a clubhouse thing. Um, It has
1: to be unique enough though. It has to be a platform in order to have no capital and grow exponentially. It has to be a platform. Where the platform sells itself. So, kind of that user generated or supplier generated product for you. And defendable that someone
0: can't come up with something similar. Yeah. Which is why, again, which is why I think under that definition, YouTube is one of the highest quality consumer internet platforms out there. Maybe the highest quality. Again, their margins might be low, but just from a competitive advantage position, I think it's quite high. All right. Before we end, I want to get some other quotes, but they have one about incentives. I'll skip that one um, because there's some better ones here. Here's a great one for looking at management teams. Quote, a big signaling effect for Combs is when management changes the key performance indicators for which it will get compensated by, presumably, presumably because management won't get compensated if the KPIs are left as is. Definitely a great tidbit to look at when you're check out like Proxy statements. Most of the stuff is just kind of boilerplate in there, but that's the one part of the proxy statement that you want to look at. That's probably or the most important thing on the proxy statement, maybe besides total compensation, all that basic stuff. That that's sort of like, no, what are they? Did they change that from last year? Just look at that. It's pretty easy too, because uh, it has to be there.
1: Yeah, and it reminds me that not to. Sometimes it's easy just to look at the last proxy and say what are their goals, but look at the previous proxies to see how their goals changed. Have they lowered yeah, the correct. hurdles for themselves? It's easy to look at just one proxy,
0: or just or did they change the met the metric? We look at both. Yeah, yeah, adjusted. Yeah, did they go from operating income to adjusted? I'm sort of, of a, yeah adjusted something because they're gonna make a big acquisition that's gonna be value diluted, but they can adjust out all the expenses. Um, let's see other last quote here. Here's a good one. And it's a good because you get the FOMO here while we're listening to the the day where the Nasdaq's up 7%, which is insane. Uh, Here's the quote. With Google, for example, Berkshire missed it despite the auto insurance being the number one and number two groups for paid search. Warren was in a position where he had the right information and the unit economics, and yet he still didn't act on that right information. That's why he regards it as such a meaningful mistake of inaction. That's definitely where the biggest regrets come from. Is when you're like, I saw it, and then uh, just for some reason was like, eh, just didn't do it. I see that with a, I see coupon of 20% today, and I'm like, oh, like, saw it, didn't, you know, just was like, I'll oh, keep it on the watch list. And I think time just- will
1: tell whether your coupon was his Google, but I think it's easier to, for him, knowing how much was being spent by his companies. I think that's one where being an op, being the businessman makes him the better investor and vice versa. I think he could see what where a lot of the al- capital was being allocated and with the auto insurance businesses paying so much for search. Seems like yeah. it should have been a no brainer. But what's stopping him now?
0: That's what I yeah, that's what I was gonna be a follow up. I mean it's still there. Yeah. Yeah. Um cheaper
1: but- now probably than it's ever been, yeah.
0: Mm, No, no. I think it was at a little bit cheaper, but uh, well, after today, probably not. But I think it was at around 10 times earning coming out of the GFC. Um, But yeah, those are it. There's some other ones. Definitely recommend checking out that, again, Investment Management Insights Substack. Look it up. They just posted it for free. I don't know how you get invited to this meeting, but it seemed nice. Ackman was there talking about sugary drinks.
1: I looked Uh, it up. It says, inaugurated in 1990, the Grandma Dodd Breakfast exemplifies eight decades of Grandma Dodd tradition at Columbia Business School. Held in New York City every fall, the breakfast brings together alumni, students, scholars, and practitioners ah, forum man. on current insights and approaches to investing.
0: So, uh, gotta be in Columbia. Gotta gotta getting into that Columbia MBA school, huh? Yeah.
1: Which is, is that probably the most competitive finance?
0: Uh, no. I mean Harvard Business School, right? Would be number one or Stanford. But Columbia's top for investing. Pretty darn good. Although they post all the lectures on they post all the lectures online now, so you can you can check those out if you really really want. But you don't get to go to the to the breakfast with Bill Ackman. Um, all right, that's five o'clock. It's been an hour. Thank you all for listening. Remember the Substack link, the newsletter link will be in the show notes. Uh if you want to watch on YouTube. These come out every Thursday. And you can watch them a little bit before they come out on the podcast feed. It's the same exact stuff, but you can just see us on our video on the Zoom talking to each other. We're continuing the engineering software theme uh this month, and we're gonna be having those shows on the stock analysis shows on the not so deep devs under the same feed. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.